Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. A possible cover-up of yeah. a champagne rape and ghost payrolling yeah. in the Quinn administration. What do you make of all this? Well, the obvious thing is that if there's an email, even if it's eight years old, talking about a cover-up of a rape and it's written by Mike McLean, then not the legislature, but there should be a, a criminal investigation. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and we are delighted to have the retiring Senate President John Cullerton with us. John, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations on 40 years or more. Yeah, it's 41, actually, uh, and um, it's uh, it's good time to uh, follow my wife's advice, and that's what, uh, that's what I'm doing. And I remember you coming into the City Hall press room as a young legislator, and doing imitations of politicians, wonderful ones. Give us your best shot. Yeah, you know, I did that when I was in like in high school, and um, perhaps not a great career move. My freshman year in 1979 to start impersonating Mayor Daley. Uh, his son, the future mayor, was a state senator at the time, and he didn't really take it as the highest form of compliment, which is what imitations are. Um, and it was pretty apparently pretty accurate. So that caused even more problems. But it was so meant, to be, meant to be meant to be behind, or what did he do? Well, he just said, "Don't impersonate my father anymore." That was okay. Just well, that, why don't you try it anyway now? On behalf of the people of the city of Chicago, and the many many precinct captains who, for years and years, have been the clogs in the machine, it's easy to criticize. It's easy to criticize, but where are there? They don't plant any trees. And, and on behalf of the precinct captains, I want to just say. Uh, on behalf of the precincts, I just want to say I'm happy to be here. Okay. That's, no, that's after the mayor asked me not to do it. So, Fran, you're getting me in trouble already, and even on, even before I retired. Okay. Do you do any other former? You mayor know, I did, I did, but I it, I would say that the last uh, eleven your years buddy, since Rahm I've Emanuel. been. Uh, well, I can't swear on uh, this podcast. I do know his his, <laughs> his brother Ari is worse, though. If that makes it uh, you know more of an excuse for him, Ari and Ezek, they uh, actually are even more intense than Ram. So. That's, that's hard a, to believe. Yes, I know. That's what, until you see those two guys, which I did recently, um, you don't you don't appreciate that. So. You do Jane Byrne. I didn't do Jane Byrne. No, I, I you know the last eleven years I got a little more serious when I was a Senate president, and uh, I probably did some real politically incorrect fundraisers at Second City, you know, back oh. in the day. So, uh, and there's probably a record of that somewhere. So, uh, I don't want to focus too much on it. Okay. Well, before we start talking about your career, let's talk a little bit about the news of this week. Uh, sure. You're a Madigan, former Madigan lieutenant. You're godfather to his child. Mm-hmm. The feds are swarming around Mike Madigan. Yeah. It's obvious. The lobbying and hiring investigation that forced out the CEO of ComEd, the explosive emails this week uh, by Mike McLean, one of Madigan's closest confidants, referring to a possible cover-up of yeah. a champagne rape and ghost payrolling yeah. in the Quinn administration. 
What do you make of all this? Well, the obvious thing is that if there's an email, even if it's eight years old, talking about a cover-up of a rape, and it's by written by Mike McLean, then the uh, not the legislature, but there should be a, uh, a a criminal investigation, and I'm sure that that is uh, taking place. If it's not, it should, and they should interview Mr. McLean and find out what he was talking about to see if there's um, what what whether that was what the substance of it was. Uh, that's obviously something that should be done right away. And who should do that criminal investigation? Well, it, should, it should be, you know, it's, it's, it, I wouldn't look to the legislature to do this because this is, this is a alleged, um, we're not, you know, you have legislative hearings when you want to pass laws to, you know, correct something where there's a shortage and where there's some need to uh, pass legislation. This isn't about legislation. This is about an investigation. So it should be the, uh, it should be the state's attorney of the local county. And uh, that's where the jurisdiction is. And the Republicans, the downstate Republicans, are asking for an, a special prosecutor by the Illinois Attorney General. Uh, is that appropriate or not? It could be if there's uh, some lack of interest in this by the local prosecutor. But the jurisdiction, the venue, is in Champaign County, if it's true. It, it, you, you got to just get Mr. McLean to explain what he was talking about. And somebody's got to do that in a investigatory uh, fashion. And if it's... If it's if they, it would be more appropriate for the state's attorney to do it. That's all I'm saying. If they don't, then yes, there should be very easily um, a special a special prosecutor. What struck people uh, in reading Mike McLean's emails? This is a man, Mike Madigan, who peels his apples before he eats them for lunch, and yet he has a confidant who is so indiscreet, and. That he writes this stuff down on an email. Yeah. I mean, it's it's shocking, really. Well, Fran, I've been, you know, I I was in, I left the house in 1991, and I've been focused on. Uh, but you know, Mike Madigan, know very well. well. You know, the institution requires both chambers to pass the same identical pieces of legislation before it goes to the governor. So, I've worked with the speaker for the last 11 years passed a lot of really important pieces of legislation and I negotiate with him by necessity and I keep a good civil relationship with him given the fact that knowing that you can't pass anything if you don't agree and we we would have our negotiations over the budget or are these main main issues he's a tough negotiator we wouldn't have a press conference after we reached the deal we would just go out and we'd vote on the legislation so uh, I haven't had any contact with Mike McLean for years I served with him 100 years ago you know when I was back in the early 80s and he's been a confidant of the speaker and not me no I understand that but does it surprise you that he would write this stuff down. Yeah, the no speaker less is very, very, um, you know, uh, very knowledgeable, very quiet, very cautious. He's a tough negotiator. Uh, he doesn't have an email or a cell phone. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But at the same time, you know, there could be freelancing on behalf of Mr. McLean. I, I just don't know. McLean says he's been under pressure to cooperate with the feds. Do you think he will? Everybody should cooperate with the feds, <laughs> no matter what's, what the topic is. They want him to flip on Madigan. Well, flip is different than cooperating. I mean, if they should interview him, go interview him and ask him about this alleged ghost payrolling and, and um, rape allegation. Uh, that has nothing to do with Madigan on it per se. Just investigate it. See what he's talking about. Do you think the feds are going to get Mike Madigan? You know, um, I'd like to think that they investigate crimes, not people. So I know of no 
have no reason to believe that Mike Madigan has ever done anything wrong. I know that Mr. Rauner spent millions of dollars demonizing him, calling him a crook without any apparent evidence. So, you know, he's been the focus of attention, obviously. Uh, I know of no reason to think that he's done anything wrong. If there's some something to the contrary, that'll be up to the investigators to find out. But there's so much smoke with the ComEd thing, with the payments from ComEd lobbyists funneled to Kevin Quinn, who was fired for the Me Too You know, I've been criticized for, maybe it's an old-fashioned thing, maybe because I used to be a public defender, but, you know, when people haven't actually even been charged, there's things have been subpoenaed, there's leaks, you know, you guys do that, that's what you have to do in your business, but uh, maybe it's an old-fashioned notion, but, you know, when somebody's charged, and even after they're charged, there's a presumption of innocence. So I I don't want to be... You know, um, uh, I'm not saying I don't want to be practical, but I know there's a lot of things going on and it's not good. But I think it's just time to see, wait and see what comes out of it. And in the case of this new information, as I said, it ought to be investigated concerning the uh, uh, the email from McLean. Do you think that Madigan has handled this properly? Has he done enough? Should he come out and explain his his relationship with Mike McLean? Well, um, I only read the Sun-Times stories like this morning, and he responded by saying it's probably more appropriate for there to be a criminal investigation rather than a legislative investigation. I agree with him on that. So he does respond. He's not like hiding in a hole. It's but he hasn't that, explained uh, his relationship. Well, he's very, he's very, that's true. But Should he? Like, well, Should he? Has, he? he <laughs> But there hasn't been any allegations that he's done anything wrong. That's what I'm trying to say. So well, perhaps the we emails show that Ma- that McLean is ma- is playing the shadow role and puppeting, and, and that's where we don't know how much of it is on his own and freelancing and that sort of thing. So should Madigan come forward and say he did this freelancing, or he didn't do this, yeah. or I told him to, or well, maybe he's just waiting for the proper forum. I, I don't should know. he, and would you? I don't know. I'm just leaving. You're just leaving, and you're leaving at a pretty good time. Uh, you started out, and on the like almost immediately, you had to call the Senate into session and hold the impeachment trial for. Yeah, what happened, friends? I got elected by my caucus in um, November of uh, 08. And then um, my goal was to bring, if I once I got elected by my caucus, uh, before I got sworn in, is to bring the caucus together and work with the speaker, uh, and Bogoyevich, who was not getting along, you know, with the speaker. And we were, nothing was happening, it was terrible. I wanted to pass a capital bill, it was my number one goal. Bogoyevich lives on the same street as me, and he was shockingly, to me, arrested down the street one morning. Um, the House impeached him a couple weeks later. This was all while I was getting prepared to become the Senate president. Uh, the outgoing Senate president was Emil Jones, who had an alliance with Blagojevich. I didn't have a staff. I didn't have a lawyer. And yet I then had to kind of bone up on how do you run an impeachment trial. <laughs> and so we actually even feared, you know, the Constitution requires the governor to convene the Senate. That's what's going to happen when my successor is elected. And so we were worried that Blagojevich would say, you know, if I don't convene the Senate, then they can't start my trial. We don't even know if he was going to show up. You may recall if he got arrested, he kind of went into hiding. He um, never came up to work. Not until the, the day before, the night before the inauguration, did he say he was going to show up. We had the inauguration. I got sworn in. It was an ex- exciting day. The, there was international media there because it was Bogoyevich's first appearance. I mean, there were people from Korea and Japan. It was <laughs> unbelievable. And then... 
I started his trial that an hour after he left, uh, which 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 we which we had which we had developed rules talking about current impeachment going on in the uh, U.S. Uh, Senate. We worked with Republicans. It was totally bipartisan. The rules that we adopted. We didn't know how. There had never been an impeachment before the governor. So uh, we conducted it very seriously. Everybody took it seriously, except for Bogoyevich, who literally then didn't show up for the trial. Uh, went on Saturday Night Live, or not, uh, David Letterman and Larry King Live, and um, and he had defenses. You know, again, I told you I'm a public defender. There were certain defenses that he could have had had he come in and showed up, but he never showed up, other than to come in and give a speech, not under oath, um, and just kind of a, a go, going away speech. And we voted, took it seriously, and voted to impeach him, uh, to convict him after the House impeached him. It, that was my first two weeks. And by the way, what a way to start. Well, you know, five yeah, days after that, I got sworn in. There was a guy, a former colleague of mine, got sworn in as Senate, as the President of the United States, too. So that was kind of all at the same time. It was really bizarre and a lot of fun in a way. A lot of fun, how? Well, just because it was exciting for me to become the Senate President, I really, really wanted to get working with the Republicans on a Capitol bill. Uh, and there had been 10 years of this, you know, nothing happening. And then we had this shocking um, uh, impeachment of a governor. But then, you know, we had a new governor, you know, and, and Quinn wanted to, you know, wanted to work. And he, uh, he had been a kind of a not a traditional uh, politician, had never served in the legislature. So we started off working together with uh, the speaker, myself and, and Quinn, to try to work on a capital bill. And in 10 weeks, we passed it with Tom Cross was the Republican leader, Chris Redonio, the Dem Republican leader in the Senate. She and I got elected the same day. Uh, we worked very well together throughout her career and my career. And we passed that Capitol bill, which was a big deal back then. It was when the recession hit. It was right when Obama was taking over. Remember, there was unemployment rate was skyrocketing. There was the um, all of the crises that was going on. And we passed this, this bill, um, paid for it with Video gaming, as it turned out, and, and along with other other taxes, not an easy thing Which to do. Which is caught up in the scandal now. Well, this was you know eleven years ago when sure. we passed this. So, and you've had some of your members, several of your members involved in the scandal, Sandoval and uh, your distant cousin. Yeah. Um, did you have any sense about? the Sandoval thing ahead of time? No. There's some rumors that you had warned maybe your colleagues to stay away from him. No, that's not the case. Uh, uh, you know, Marty was in the caucus, and he was kind of a, uh, you know, sometimes he would, he's got a great family. He's a, he's a, um, a real family-oriented guy. He uh, kind of a bully in his appearance sometimes when people would say that about him. But no, I had no reason to have any reason to believe anybody. Uh, you know, for all the people I've served with, some I think I counted like 980. 87 people that I've served with in the, in the 41 years. Um, overwhelmingly, everybody is just honest. People go down there to try to do the right thing. There hadn't been any hint of scandals, I mean, for decades. People might find that you might find that somebody might have committed a crime in their private life, in their private job or whatever, just like it happens in everything. But in the legislature, people taking bribes, things like that, just hadn't happened. So it's very embarrassing, very troubling, but the overwhelming number of people that are there are, are there for the right reasons. But the Sandoval allegations... Same thing with Sandoval. I, I'm, I don't want to overdo this. I think Sandoval has is, is left the, the legislature. He's been subpoenaed. It looks pretty bad for him. He actually hasn't been charged yet though so no. and once he is 
If he pleads guilty, that's admitting you, you, you pled guilty. In the case of Tom Cullerton, he pled not guilty, vociferously said he didn't do it. I attribute, we have to attribute a presumption of innocence to them. And so, you know, that's how I look at it. Now, maybe again, that's not the way um, other people look at it, but that's the way I look at it. But colleagues weren't surprised on Sandoval. They said they, they, they viewed him as someone kind of on the make and... Well, that's that, that, Did you, that might were have, you surprised at all? I never all had any reason to believe he had done been doing anything wrong. I, I knew I, I mentioned his appearances would sometimes be kind of a bully and But you can be and, a bully about contracts too. Well <laughs> again, we we still don't know he still hasn't been charged. We still don't know what it is that they're alleged that he he's done. Yeah, but I mean, the breadth of what they're looking at, red light cameras, video gaming, yeah. this Terry Link situation where yeah. he wears a wire on Arroyo and, you know, the allegation about video gaming. Well, there you go. Arroyo was, has, has already been charged. We know exactly what it is that he's been charged right. with. Right, but Terry it, Link it, has denied it, but in yeah. fact, sources have told yeah. both newspapers sure. that in fact it is him. And again, we're going to find out, right? So, um, but it's embarrassing for the institution. Um, I really love the legislature, the Senate. I've been there for 41 years. Overwhelmingly served with people who are honest, hardworking people. And that's, that's what is lost when the focus is on these allegations, obviously. This is an investigation that has the potential to be the biggest we've ever seen. I mean, we've already seen Burke uh, indicted, uh, Danny Solis wearing a, a wire. Yep. Carrie Austin is under investigation. We have all these things going on in Springfield, in the South Suburbs, and ComEd. Is this taint of corruption going to impact uh, the governor's ability to get a graduated income tax, do you think? Yeah, you know, we uh, had a phenomenal year last year. Yeah. When you think about all the stuff that we passed. And the, the uh, graduate income tax is, is one of the most important. We not only passed the constitutional amendment, but we passed the rates so that we could tell the Republicans who were opposed to this, uh, you know, you're just going to uh, raise everybody's taxes. We wanted people to know exactly who was going to be affected. So if you look at it objectively, 97% of people are going to get a slight decrease or no increase at all. It's the 3% uh, who are going to have an increase if it passes. And it's going to raise so much money that we can then finally get back on track to paying the bills after the disastrous four years of, of Rauner. So it's that's the issue. And um, if we don't pass it, by the way, the equivalent would be one full uh, percentage increase in the income tax. The income tax is 4.95. You'd have to make it 6% across the board to r raise the same amount of money. So for the 97%, they ought to realize that they're better off having this constitutional amendment passed. And so I think the focus should be on this. This is up to the constituents uh, to, to vote. This is the, this isn't anything to do with, with corruption. This has to do with people going to the, the ballot. They're going to go vote for president. That everybody's going to, they're going to have a high turnout for president and in Illinois for sure. And while they're there, they're going to vote in this constitutional amendment. I would urge them to vote, yes, for the obvious reasons that I've just stated. And I, I would think that it's such a big deal that people would be focused on it by then when they're standing there voting. And you don't think corruption will have anything well, to do with gonna, it? We're, the fear we're, that they're we're still going to be there. They're still going to be there. They're still going to know that if they don't raise the, uh, uh, pass that constitutional amendment, there's going to be $3.5 billion that is not going to be available to pay off our old bills and the like, and that 97% of them are not going to have to pay for it. That I think that can I think they can think that through, regardless of what happened with regard to these allegations. And 
will it pass without property tax relief tied to it? Um, it's not tied to tax, property tax relief but now. Does it need to be? Well, it it, it sold it, in that it, way. It, um, it, it's. It's the problem is the lack of civics and people understanding how the government works. That's that's a bigger problem. Okay, so the pro- so people don't know that the state of Illinois doesn't get a penny from property taxes. Property taxes go two thirds of the property taxes go to schools. Right. Everybody likes schools, and they like the idea that schools are getting better and better. And we have much better education levels here than other many other states, and so. If they say, well, we want to lower our property taxes, then you have to say, oh, you want to lower the money that goes to schools? Um, and so there is a connection, though, because if if we want to freeze property taxes, then we have to make up for it with the state's contribution to the school aid formula. And we've been dramatically increased that as a result of legislation we've passed in the last few years. But you have to have the money to pay for it. And that's where the graduated income tax comes in. So the graduated income tax would have the effect of alleviating pressure on increasing property taxes in the local school districts. It would be easy to actually freeze them, as a matter of fact. And we passed a bill out of the Senate that did just that. It was tied to the graduated income tax. We said uh, the taxes would li- property taxes would actually be frozen, assuming that the state reaches a certain level of funding. And um, it's over in the House. It's something I think they should really consider passing because it's uh, it was very well thought out. Senator Menard, and um, who worked so hard on the school funding reform down in the Decatur area, he's the one that came up with that, and uh, it's it's really. It's, it's responsible, and it's good politics, because it says, hey, we are freezing your taxes as long as we have enough money to pass uh, to, to have the state pick up that uh, extra portion. Mayor Lightfoot hasn't done too well so far. She had got a casino that can't be financed. Yeah. She didn't get pension relief that she wanted. She didn't get a service tax. She didn't get her graduated real estate transfer tax. Right. Why hasn't she succeeded? What will it take for her to well, succeed? Well, um, I worked with her very, very uh, uh, closely to try to accomplish those things. And we had some good, uh, positive news, I think, um, uh, at least in the Senate, on, on, on the, uh, the casino. The language has been worked out. Um, the problem with passing it is not about the language uh, with the casino. It, 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 the language with the casino is agreed to by, by many negotiators in the House, the Senate, and the governor's office. It's just that people in gaming, they always want to add other things. Right. So it's the things that are not in there that were causing people to not commit to vote. What's going to change about but that? But that's something I think that can easily be worked out because once people realize that the Chicago casino is going to fund the capital bill. The people downstate who get all the money for the roads, they always want to vote against Chicago, but this deal is what provides the money to pay for their roads. And that's why it's it's inevitable that this would pass. The real estate transfer tax was caught up in, again, more of a local issue is how do you want to spend that money? Do you want to spend the money on uh, the homeless and how much? And I think people didn't realize that the homeless, uh, the money spent on homeless is not spent by the city. It's spent by grants to p- providers that provide those services. And there's only a certain amount that they can absorb uh, and, and through grants. To, there's only a certain number of resources they have to, to um, implement those. We should find out what it is that they need. Uh, have the city agree, the alderman agree to say, we're going to appropriate this much. And then we can pass it in Springfield to allow for the money to flow. 
So you think that if she devotes a certain amount of it to affordable housing and homelessness, that that will pass too? Affordable housing is a separate issue. That There's other legislation that I was sponsoring that now someone else will have to sponsor dealing with affordable housing. It's a major, major issue in the Chicago area, and there are solutions. But I think it was the Homeless Coalition that came and asked for money from the real estate transfer tax. But the amount of money that they wanted, I don't think there was was any way you could spend it all that quickly. So I think it would be really good to find out what's in the pipeline. If it's double or triple what they're getting now, fine. Uh, devote that money to them. Then we can pass the legislation in Springfield. The city can use the other money to help their budget. So you think she'll get both? I think she will. In I think this it's spring? I, yeah, this you spring? know, remember, you know, when the mayor gets sworn in, uh, and we only have two more weeks to go in the session. And she's never been in the legislature, unlike Rahm, who had been in a legislature and, you know, was used to the system. So uh, she's on a learning curve. And, you know, she's, she came down to Springfield. She has a people, a real positive vibe. It's just that it takes a while to, and the governor's new too, let's face it. You know, and has first she year, learned? Was she's she learning. At first? She's I think learning. she's learning. What does she need to learn? Well, I, I just think it's the, it's just the system and learning how, how the how the system works. So, and and she has a good relationship with the speaker, as far as I know. She's met with the speaker. We've met uh, uh, together with her a few times. Um, it's just um, Rom had a little bit of an advantage in Springfield. Is all I'm saying because he had he had had this experience in the in the legislature and with Congress as well. Rom got money from Congress. Uh, Rom was that, a, uh, Rom's uh, your good friend, and he knew how to work a legislator because of his experience. Sure, yeah. not his charm. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, no, yeah. but he <laughs> didn't take no for an answer. We would say he's not warm and fuzzy, but he's a, no. he's a great guy. But and he was on the phone. Yeah. He you see, what you have to do lines. in what you have to do in Springfield with Chicago issues is you have to kind of be under the radar. You can't like have press conferences and brag about how you got more money for Chicago <laughs> because even though you were entitled to it, you you have to keep in mind that we in Chicago are still getting screwed from the school aid formula. So the schools. Uh, Outside of Chicago, all of their pensions are paid for. Virtually all their pensions are paid for by the state. In the, in 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 Chicago, we only recently got a portion of the money that we should get. If if we if the will if, she get the money if, she needs for this for the teacher contract, the one and a half. Well, we already billion. provided that money, so that money. No, no, what, five years going forward, one uh, and a half billion. Well, dollars. that's that. Uh, the money's there because of what. I can't tell you what the future general assemblies are going to do, but yeah. for the last... Do you last, think you'll have trouble funding that contract? No. The way we did the school aid formula, uh, we have put uh, on an incentive to fully fund the school aid formula, okay? It, inc it involves increased appropriations every year, which I think is within the framework. But if we would simply, I'd say simply, it wouldn't be easy to pass, but simply level the playing field on how the schools are funded, their pensions are funded, it would be an extra... Uh, $170 million more for the schools, in my opinion, along with a lot of other money that would help the other pension funds that are underfunded in Chicago. And so that would be a big reform that I would urge the mayor, the governor, the speaker to work on in the future. Will you? Will she get a service tax and pension relief? The consolidation? Will the state, you know, will she get anything for pensions? The pension relief is what I was talking about before for the schools, the money should come directly I'm from the state. I'm talking about city pensions. There's four city pension funds. Uh, Rahm, as you know, uh, had increased taxes in various forms. One yeah. was a one was But a, she needs more tax. going forward. She needs a well, billion dollars. Right. And there's there's 
there's Will a way there's a way to do that. That's another uh, difference between the Senate and the House. We passed a form of pension reform that would um, called the consideration model, which we yeah. think would be constitutional. Um, I would suggest that maybe. Uh, one of those pension funds, maybe the municipal fund, the one that's the least funded, maybe that's one where she could work with the unions involved with that and see if they would uh, implement that change, which is constitutional, and that would alleviate some of the pressure on that pension fund. That's something which would involve working with the unions rather than against them to see if they would be what would she do there to explain to the layman how would she do that? Well, it does involve um, changing people's long-term pension benefits. This, this compounded COLA is what really has cost people. And it's, the problem has been that we never required the funding that should have been going in there over years. And that's why we've had to catch up. That's why it's so underfunded now. And so you, you, you in effect, uh, you can even incentivize folks to give up some of their future benefits by giving them a tax um, a, a refund from money they've paid into the pension fund in the past, a pay raise going forward in exchange for just uh, uh, giving up maybe a compounded COLA to a simple COLA. When you do that, you save money in the long term. Short term, they actually get more money. That's the kind of thing some workers might might enjoy and might prefer. And if you do that, you can save a lot of money. And you and don't need yourself. a constitutional amendment to do it? No. And by the way, the constitutional amendment is, a, is um, not a solution for anything. Even if you change the Illinois state constitution, you still have the federal constitution, which has a contracts clause. That says, once you have a contract, you can't pass a law on undoing it. And so even if we pass the constitutional amendment in the state, that would only allow you to do future changes to state benefits. But we've already dramatically cut people's state benefits. You know, one of the things that's unfortunate is that people don't understand pensions. It gets confusing. The 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 drum is that we they're all bankrupt and all that. It's just simply not true. The the fact is that we did underfund them, but for the last twenty five years we've been catching up, and we dramatically cut pension benefits. About now it's about eight years ago, where we have this tier two, where all new employees have a dramatically lower pension. That's more than half of the school teachers, more than half of the state workers or university workers in the state have this tier two pension. It's just, and we, and we, so we stop the bleeding. And the question is, how do we pay off those folks who were there before that? And we're doing it over a 20, we've done it for a 25 year period. We have 25 more years to do it to get to 90% funding. In your 40 years, what are you proudest of? Because you you have been viewed as the bipartisan guy, and Kirk Dillard called you the most effective Senate president in the history of Illinois. You've passed more legislation than anybody. What are you most proud of? Well, starting out when I was in the House, I was really, really uh, fortunate to get involved in highway safety stuff. So I first, I vividly remember, uh, I got married in 79, same year I got sworn in. Um, in fact, that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm retiring because uh, my marriage has been totally um, overlaps my experience in Springfield. So four years ago, my wife said, "I think I'm in favor of term limits." That kind of threw me off. I wasn't sure if she was talking about term limits on the marriage or term limits on the government. <laughs> so I uh, I said, "Well, maybe take a hint here, and maybe maybe we can think about retiring." But we started off. Um, having a baby in 1981. And believe it or not, I vividly remember handing that baby to my wife who was sitting in the front seat. That's what people did back then. You brought your babies home and the mother held that baby and you drove home. Mm -hmm. There were no car seats. And then 
the next year we had a baby, but that's when my wife discovered car seats. She actually started a, a car seat loaner program out of our house, and I put a bill in requiring people to have car seats, which was really radical at the time. Only one state in the nation had passed that law. And so I worked on it, compromised, kind of negotiated the bill to be really limited, only affect your the parents in their own car, and we passed it. Uh, bipartisan. Lee Daniels actually helped me pass it. And so that was really a big deal. We actually had three, then we had a third year in a row, we had a bit another baby. We had three car seats in the, in the, in the back, three diapers, three di- car seats. And then that led for me to, to uh, sponsor the seatbelt law. Seatbelt law, when you think about it, you stand up on the floor of the, of the house and you ask your uh, colleagues to require their constituents to wear a seatbelt when only 15% of the people were wearing a seatbelt at the time. Hmm. I mean, that's not easy. And again, did it the same way. Limited the seatbelt law to um, uh, not be a primary um, uh, offense so that the cops couldn't see you without a seatbelt and give you and stop you. They can only give you a ticket. If in it was conjunction a, in, with something in, in, else. In a, right. And, we, and that was the law until a guy named Barack Obama and I worked uh, a deal. And Obama helped me with the seatbelt law to make it primary. And I helped him with a racial profiling law which we both passed. And so that was really rewarding. Uh, you know, when you can press a button and you can literally know that you're going to save lives of kids, you know, and, 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 and so many adults. And of course the fatality rate dramatically dropped, uh, to the point where we got below, you know, we were, there were over 2000 people being killed back in the sixties and seventies, uh, annually. It's under a thousand people. Um, a lot of folks saved a lot of, a lot of life saves that also, I also got involved in the same way with, uh, anti-tobacco. So fortunately I never smoked. That's where you joined with Ram, uh, you know, Ram was such yeah, a big Yeah, that was just coincidental that he had the same, uh, hatred, I guess, uh, if you will, uh, for, for smoking. And you know, it's just so statistically obvious that it just causes so much cost to society and a disproportionate number of folks who are Medicaid eligible smoke. And that's where we spend all this money. We would save billions of dollars if we could eliminate it. And the best way to eliminate it, it turns out is to raise the tax. And when you raise the tax like this year, the governor said, let's raise the tax by a quarter because he was looking for some money to pay for the capital bill. I said, only if it's a dollar. Because if you raise it a dollar, that affects behavior dramatically. So 28,000 kids will not start because the tax is too high. And it's really worth it. And we don't care if there's a reduction in money we get from the cigarette tax because we save so much more in health care costs. So that's another thing that I think is health-related. I think it's very rewarding. Um, and that's what I would Before say we go, what's of. been the biggest change politically in the 40 years you've seen? Um, well, the problem is, you referred to it earlier, the lack of local news coverage. So, Fran, there were 50 bureau chiefs in 1979 <laughs> in Springfield. People from Kankakee and Marion would be literally living in Springfield, in, in writing a story about what we did every day, interviewing the local legislators. There's three now, I think, you know, because of the economics of the digital media. So that's that's a that's a void. Um, you know, there's a bunch of... of uh, uh, foundations that provide money for people like ProPublica to do investigative reporting. There's always been investigative reporting. We clearly need investigative reporting. But if it's only investigative reporting, then you get a distorted view of what we're like down there. And you don't even know what the basic fundamentals of what we vote on or what the budget is involved. And so that's kind of a change which is not 
good. Maybe these foundations should, you know, focus on local news. Maybe, you know, foundations give money to some organizations that have local news. The Illinois Press Association has a mini version of that. They have a few reporters down there where they, all they do is cover the news. They don't investigate news. We just they just report it. That's been a big change, and it's not a that would be. I don't think it's. I don't know how it's going to change, but that's really been the biggest change. I would say. John Culleton, best of luck to you in your new life. Uh, maybe we'll see you sometime at Second City on oh stage. Oh, my God. With all the pressure gone, I can go back to telling some, some impersonations. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you all next week. 